Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Tim Boom, Promise of God by Mike Evans with permission from Time Worthy Books. And we are on chapter 30. News of our help for Benjamin Wald and accounts of the incident at Peter's church spread quickly. Two weeks after Peter was arrested, a woman appeared at the shop door just after curfew. Corey was in her room, so I went down to answer the door and found Mrs. Kilmaker standing on the sidewalk. She and her husband operated a small dry goods store several blocks away. May I come in, she asked, glancing around wearily. I held the door open and gestured for her to enter. What's wrong, I asked when she was inside. From the look of her face and the tone of her voice, I knew there was trouble. The Gestapo came to our store today and closed it. They said it wasn't ours anymore. I didn't know what to do, so I left. Where's your husband? He was arrested the other day, and when they loaded all those people on the Grout Mart, he was one of those they took. He's gone. I don't think I'll ever hear from him or my son. Your son, where is he? He's in hiding. I'm so sorry. Can you help me? They didn't arrest me this morning because I didn't go to my apartment. I was afraid they were waiting to take me there. I've heard you help Benjamin. Can you help me? Sure, come upstairs with me. I took her by the arm and led her through the staircase. Let's see what we can do. I had no idea how to help her, but I certainly wasn't turning her away either. On the second floor, I guided her to the dining room table and put on water for tea, and then I served her some bread and jam. Corey came downstairs while we were still talking, and I explained the situation. We have four empty beds, Corey said with a smile. You're welcome to sleep in one of them. Mrs. Kilmaker looked genuinely relieved. A few nights later, the same thing happened again. Not long after curfew, the doorbell rang downstairs. This time, Corey was with me, and when we opened the door, we found an elderly Jewish couple at the door. Corey held the door, and I helped them inside. They introduced themselves as Edwin and Karina Citron. We didn't know them, but they seemed genuine, so we let them inside. We saw them making a rest on our streets earlier today, the old man began. German soldiers were moving down the block from house to house, his wife added. We left before they got to our house, he explained. We've been wandering the streets since. She smiled at me. We're afraid to go home, and a friend of Gideon Prince said we should see you. Can you help? Of course we couldn't turn them away, but with three extra people in the house, I was worried about someone seeing them. It's not very difficult to hide one person, but three is a different matter. Even if there was space enough for everyone to sleep in their own bed, we were feeling crowded. I talked about this with Papa and Corey, and all we could think of was William. Maybe he could help. So once again, Corey rode her bicycle to find him. A few hours later, she returned with a message. He can help, but everyone must have ration cards in order to find places for them. No one will take them without the cards. That evening at supper, I asked Mrs. Kittlemaker if she had a card but she did not. Neither did the Citrons. They were afraid to register. Edwin said, we've heard stories that they were arresting Jews who applied. My sister told us, Karina added, nodding her head with emphasis. She lives near the office and knows all about these things. What they said wasn't true. It was only rumor, but it had taken hold in the Jewish community, and no amount of explaining could dislodge it. Rather than try, I just nodded my head along with her. But as I did, an image of Vincent flashed through my mind, and I could see him seated at his desk in the office off the corridor of the food office. 
Every time I heard that rumor, I thought of him, and it made me bristle to think that people were saying something untrue about him. And just that quickly, I realized he might be able to help. I may know, I caught myself, better to keep Vincent's identity a secret, so I cleared my throat to cover. I'll check tomorrow and see what I can do. If we can get cards for each of you, it would be much easier to place you with a family. You can't get us out of the country, Edwin asked, his eyes alert as if he'd been expecting us to do that. We cannot. That's not what we do, but we can locate you at a safe place to live. Early the next morning, I took the trolley across to Vincent's office. On the way, I thought about how to approach him and decided I had no choice but to be honest. That meant revealing a government official that we'd been helping Jews and that we were harboring three in our home at that moment which put both them and us at risk of going to prison. But there was no other viable option. I needed multiple ration cards for individuals who could never get past the front door of the building and who, if they did, would be arrested on the spot for even requesting a card. To get a favor like that, I had to trust him. I had to trust that the Vincent I saw in that office when we came to get our ration cards was the same Vincent that I knew when we were young. That Vincent... The one I walked home with after school would never betray me to anyone. If that Vincent was still alive, I was safe. If the Vincent I once knew and loved had died with his appointment to the rationing job, then the Nazis would have succeeded. The free country we knew before would be lost, and I would likely be dead before morning. I chose to trust in the goodness of my friend's soul. When I arrived at the building, the guard waved me through the entrance and I made my way down the corridor towards the clerk's office. As before, Vincent was seated at his desk in an office just across the corridor. His eyes opened wide when he saw me. Betsy, he smiled, what brings you out so early? I sat in a chair across from him. We need to talk. He rose from behind the desk and closed the office door. When he came back to his chair, he looked over at me and said, so talk. I need ration cards, I began. I need them for people who can't come to your office to get them. Okay, he said slowly. Why can't they come in person? I arched an eyebrow, hoping that he would understand. They would be arrested. The look on his face told me he knew exactly what I was talking about. How do you know these people? They are my neighbors. Hasn't most of your neighborhood been cleared? A pang of fear stabbed me in the stomach. The language he used was the language of the Nazi. Clearing was the way of saying they removed all the Jews from an area. That is what you call it now? That's what they call it. Where are these people living? Three of them are living with me. His eyes opened wide once more. With you? Yes. Vincent leaned forward and lowered his voice. Do you realize how dangerous that is? He whispered. What if you get caught? It is dangerous, I nodded but not as much for us. If we get caught, they'll send us to prison. If they get caught, they will die. He leaned back in his chair. Still, I must advise you that you stop this immediately. While he talked, he took a scrap of paper from his desk, scribbled something on it. Then he turned the paper so I could see it. The scrawled handwriting, it read, they may be listening. We can help them, Vincent, I whispered in response. We can find places for them to stay where they'll be safe but they must all have ration cards. No one will take them without the card. Can you help? He stared past me for a moment as if deep in thought and then came from the desk and sat beside me. With his lips near my ear, he said, how many do you need? 
On the ride to see him, I thought of many things, what life would be like if we had married. Might we have been able to have children after all? Would I have survived delivery? How was I going to ask him for the cards and a thousand other things? I never once thought of how many cards I would need. I had assumed three, I think, but now I wasn't sure. The question caught me off guard. As he stared at me, awaiting an answer, a large number came to my mind. It seemed like an impossible request, and one that was sure to doom the entire venture to failure. But I could not escape the thought of it. So I took a deep breath and said, 100. Vincent never flinched. He just sat there a moment longer, thinking, then said, It would be possible only if the office is robbed. I assumed he was just being polite and telling me no in a friendly way when I saw the twinkle in his eye. That happens more often than you would think. He continued barely above a whisper. Here in this office, it would need to happen around noon when I and the clerk are the only people here. A mischievous grin spread over his face. I think I know someone who might be willing to help. While we waited for news from Vincent about the ration cards, a steady stream of Jews appeared at the shop looking for help. Corey and I scrambled to find places for them, but it was difficult juggling people from bed to bed. No one was turned away, but without ration cards, it was next to impossible to locate people willing to take them, which meant that we often had seven or eight extra people in the house awaiting placement. Those first ones in particular were difficult to place because of their age. Working without a phone made communication difficult too. Corey could only do so much in her bicycle, so I suggested we ask Kick for help. Corey was apprehensive about contacting him. I don't want to get him in trouble. He still lives at home, and going there only draws the attention of the wrong people. William doesn't need that now. But we have to do something, I argued. We can't keep going on like this. Reluctantly, Corey paddled off on her bicycle to find Kick. The trip took longer than expected because she had to dodge two German patrols. But she returned later with news that Hendrick would be available to us on a permanent basis. The next day, Hendrick arrived at the shop dressed as a girl as usual. To give him a reason for being there, we assigned him the job of sweeping the floor. When he was in the shop between assignments, he puttered around with a broom in his hand. Anyone who looked through the front window would hopefully see only a female, which we thought would not raise suspicions. When customers were present, we sent him upstairs. He was convincing as a female from a distance, but up close, anyone who paid attention would see that he was a boy. Before long, though, Hendrick was too busy to sweep, and he brought in a friend, Jan Bertledge, to take over the broom. Later that month, Vincent came by the house. His face was bruised around both eyes, and he had a cut on the right side just above his cheek. What happened? I asked, startled at his appearance. The friend who helped us got a little carried away with the robbery part. Oh, no, I gasped. I feel terrible. Don't be, Vincent grinned with a pride. I was glad to do it. He reached into a leather pouch and then that hung from his shoulder and took out a stack of rationing cards. He waved them in the air. One hundred, just like you asked. You're an angel, I exclaimed. And before I knew it, I grasped him with both hands and kissed him on the lips. His eyes opened wide in astonishment. Wow, I should have brought those cards to you sooner. Thank you, I continued. I tried to ignore my impulsive gesture. You're welcome. An awkward moment passed between us, and then Vincent moved on to explain. The cards are couponed for reissue each month, which means they'll automatically be renewed. But that requires a new card. I'll need to pick them up. Better let me deliver them, he offered. If you come around too often, someone will get suspicious. 
Okay, I nodded. We should come up with a plan to make sure that goes smoothly. You'll need a reason to be here, other than the cards. There's always a watch repair. Yes, but that only works once. We need something better. Something that's an answer every time. We thought for a moment, then a look came over him. I know just the thing, he said. I used to read electric meters. What if I come as a meter reader? Excellent idea. And it really was. Do you know where our meter is located? Show me, he said. I led him through the shop to the back of the building and pointed it out. He noted the location and glanced around as if searching for something. Is this okay, I asked. I'll need a place to put the cards. I can't leave them here in the open. They'll be discovered for sure. The meter was fastened to the wall near the rear staircase, and as I glanced around, I thought of how we had hidden the radio beneath the steps above the second floor. If it worked for that, it would work for this. I pointed, we could loosen the runner on the first step. You could put the cards in there. Good, he grinned. That will work just fine. The following month, when Vincent came to the house with new cards, he was dressed like a meter reader. He wore an official electrical service cap and carried a pad in one hand. Ralph, the policeman, was there asking Papa about an incident that had occurred on the street that night before. I panicked at the thought of them seeing each other, but Vincent never missed a beat. He walked through the house as if he had been there before, checked the meter, and noted the reading. Then he lifted the runner on the bottom step of the staircase and deposited the cards inside the space below. When he was finished, he came back through the shop the same way he entered and left without saying a word, just like the meter reader did each month. Ralph never noticed a thing, and when he was gone, Corey went upstairs and told me all about it. That was close, I said. Vincent should have been kept going instead of coming inside when Ralph was there. Maybe, but he had no other way of knowing who was in the shop. We need a signal that lets other people know it's safe to enter. Corey glanced around the shop and pointed to the alpina watch sign that sat on a shelf behind Papa. She gestured towards the sign. What if we use that? We could put it in the window if everything is clear, and if something is wrong, we'll take it out. Sign in the window, come on in. Sign missing, stay away, I summarized. Yes, she nodded. Exactly. Good, I smiled. I think that will work. But we still have one more problem. What's that? Some of the new ration cards need to go to the people we've already placed. I don't think we can do that, Corey shrugged. We don't know where all of them are staying. Does Hendrick? Yes, Corey replied. I think so. Maybe not all of them, but at least some. Then we should discuss it with him. We don't want the people we've already sent into hiding to lose their place because they no longer have a working ration card. Good point. We should ask him about it. Hendrick was away on an errand. When he returned that afternoon, I took him upstairs to the parlor and explained the situation with the cards. It seemed complicated to me, but he appeared unfazed. We'll take care of it. We? Jan and I, he explained. We know where some of them are located and how to reach most of the others. That was a moment I realized we were part of a vast network, one much larger than I realized. Understanding the enormity of it left me both troubled and intrigued. If we were connected to a wide-ranging group, the possibility of being discovered and caught was much greater. At the same time, the potential to make a real difference was enormous. That's the end of chapter 30. Next week will be chapter 31. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.